It is positive times on the Pac-12 Apostles. Spring ball is starting. Football is back. I mean, sort of. We got a fan email. Somebody hates back the pack. Which Pac-12 teams could survive as independents? March Madness may have no fans. Only can watch it on television. Demetrius Martin leaves ASU, goes to Colorado. And of course, Larry Scott says some more stupid shit. I'm George Reister with Ralph Amston, and this is the Pac-12 Apostles. Thank you guys for listening to the Pac-12 Apostles. We appreciate your time, appreciate your energy. Thank you for sharing with a friend. And of course, leave a five-star rating wherever you listen to podcasts. And we thank you for your time, of course. Let's get to the show. Ralph, before we even get to the to the insanity that is Larry Scott, I think it is important because that 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 we have a bring back the joy to Pac-12 apostles because there, there's so much negativity out there with the election, so much contentious, and people need a break from all of that. I think it's important for us to start the show out on a on a happy note today, Ralph. Yes, yeah, I think you're right. I, I right as we were setting up to record. Uh, my guy Paul Angel at Rubber Meat Road on Twitter. He says he's done listening to Pac-12 podcasts and consuming Pac-12 media because we're all just super negative all the time, and it, it, it has stopped being a break from his real life. So I felt that one. That one. That one definitely hit me in the in the heart. And so um, I mean, yeah, there, there's definitely some good stuff going on. Um, and we I, we have fun doing this show too. I think that you know this. So we try to laugh about some of the stuff that make you cry otherwise. Uh, but I tell you what, man, it was cool to actually be able to get together with you and hang out this weekend uh, out in L.A. That was that was a good time. Yeah, it was. If it, if for anybody who doesn't know, me and Ralph had never met until we were at like in person until we were at Pac-12 Media Day this year. And, and that's what we recorded right, our first show, like right there in the corner of the ballroom. <laughs> Yeah, and then that was the genesis, the birthplace of Pac-12 Apostles, and we record remotely, but, you know, we text, talk, and it become friends, so, yeah, so there's the, the, there's the good news, but there, are, there is more good news, Ralph. I am happy for the second time today when some uh, massive hack or dump, and I wasn't a part of it. <laughs> a couple years ago, I was happy when the Ashley Madison dump happened, when they exposed all the names and email addresses, and I wasn't a part of that. And I was happy today when I saw fans only trending. I was like, what the heck? I mean, only fans trending. And then I saw that they had possibly been hacked too. And I'm like, ah, ah, see, that's why I don't participate in this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was just telling you before we started recording that, I, you know, that, that, uh, it was, you know, last week it was trending and now it's trending this week again. And I guess like what this is, is is it's basically like the the privatization of, I don't know, like sex work or pornography or whatever. Like, yes. Whatever yeah. you call it. But like basically like uh, women have the uh, the ability now to funnel all of the thirsty guys who are always clicking like on their Instagram booty pics into uh, paying them for live videos and pictures and stuff like that. 
And, um, you know, it, it's a it, it's a scary and weird time. I'm a happily married man. I don't partake in that. But more power to you if if, if that if that's something that you can balance in your Whoa. in your life. But the Ashley Madison thing, I think, is the funniest thing in the world, because number one, to just have all your stuff out there, get get hacked and leaked like that. And to find out people were using their work emails and their real names and everything like that which is just incredibly, incredibly short-sighted. But then beyond that, to find out that Ashley Madison tricked those guys into joining in the first place and to keep signing up with female robots, like they weren't even real people. Um, so they kept them in that funnel and then leaked their names out there. Oh, that was brutal. And so to think that this might be happening again, oh, the internet is just a dangerous place. If you are listening, if you are listening to this show, just uh, find someone that you can chat with in, 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 in real life and, uh, and stay away from some of this internet stuff. Cause it's well, the, poisonous. well, the fans only is pretty safe considering that like, so I'm sorry, the, the only fans, there are a couple of other sites that allow people to do this too. So it's like a, it's almost like a Patreon for, for, either prostitution or actually but it's really not even prostitution more porn kind of like where 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 people pay for to the ability to see people in pictures and videos or whatever on a monthly subscription basis like eh, it it may not get you you know, like divorced, but it might get you some bad looks or whatever. I feel like so. I'm, I, I think I think I think it's a one way ticket to divorce. Because I mean, I'm I was laughing really hard when it when I saw it trending last week, and then I tried to explain to my wife what was so funny, and she's like, "Wait, wait, wait! How do you know so much about this?" And I'm like, "I just I'm very online. I like I see you know I I know what people are up to out there. You got it. You see the thirst traps and you avoid them, right? Like." But I, but I think that I think that it's it's probably different than, you know, you're looking at pictures or images or something like that. This like you're interacting directly with people and soliciting direct services, right? Like chatting directly with people in live formats. That feels more like cheating to me. I, whether it's emotional or nothing ever happens in person or whatever, that's just super dangerous, man. I and then to and then to have your personal information. Uh, be in their hands and you never know what could happen. Like what if, what if, what if somebody with an OnlyFans account just got into the idea of extortion? Like they get your information and they find out you, they, they look you up on Facebook, find out you're married and, and then they just, Hey, you're a customer for life or I blow your family up. Like that's what well, I think about that. Stuff well, all because the time. people, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because people don't clearly sign up with you know swinging salami 3862 at, <laughs> at at com. they sign up with joe with uh with a joe dot roman at sbcglobal.com <laughs> or with like cnbc.com you're like what why would you sign up with your work address why not create some weirdo address the way at least they got to go through a couple steps even though they can find who it is at least they got to jump through some hoops to find you but uh but continuing down the internet rabbit hole um uh it pack 12 style demetrius martin left arizona state and went to colorado for a lateral move and mind you people are like it's not a lateral move listen anytime that you leave a job if you are a defensive backs coach, 
and you leave for another defensive back coach job within your same conference and you're not moving to a top team in the conference, it's a lateral move. Okay, and, so that's your qualification. Because if somebody was moving from Pullman to Eugene to do this same job, you wouldn't feel the same. No, no, it, it's, especially if the money is different. Like if the if the money is significantly different. Right. I mean, it's like if you are leaving, if you are in the Big Ten and you leave Rutgers to go to Ohio State as a DB coach from a DB coach, that's not a lateral move. That's a move up. But it, but if you leave Rutgers to go to, I don't know, Maryland, then you're like, eh, that's kind of lateral. That's lateralish. Yeah, I have. I mean, I, I have. I have some concerns about this move. It happens the uh, the day before spring football kicks off down in Tucson, um, and it it feels like maybe him and Carl Durrell are just really close. But it's a lateral move, and I, I know when I tweeted lateral move, I got a bunch of ASU fans in my mention that were like, "Tucson sucks." <laughs> like, if they just you know that that's going to happen, that's going to happen. But I'm I'm trying to understand it from from uh you know you is it just more job security in boulder because it's a new staff is this actually like a personal relationship where like oh man if i get the chance to work with carl Durrell again i can't pass that up or is this a rebuke of kevin sumlin and the program of basically saying look this is a sinking ship and i need to get on more stable ground because i don't want my name to be tarnished and i want to have some control over my situation in case everybody gets fired because it's not like, you know, Demetrius Martin was one of their better recruiters, even though nobody's really done that good of a job uh, out there the last couple of years, especially when you factor in the, the expectations of Kevin Sumlin coming in from Texas A&M where they had consistent top 10 recruiting classes. Um, and then beyond that, you know, they haven't really been able to get their hooks in in California. And that was kind of his job. Um, he's got a son out here that plays in the Phoenix suburbs so um, he's a he's a freshman uh, starting defensive back at Hamilton High School. He's a real real good player. So I don't know if that means that he uh, goes with him or or not. It, so you know, it, there's a lot of considerations here. But to me, on the surface, it just feels like wow, like that's a that that is not showing a whole lot of confidence in Kevin Sumlin to turn this around uh, when when you're returning most of your. Um, your players. I think the the thing with um, University of Arizona is they got guys like Chris Rowland out there. I think Greg, I can't remember if Greg Johnson, I think Greg Johnson's at U of A or he might end up at, at USC. I can't remember right now, but uh, there's a couple of guys that he's got that are mo- going to be multiple year starters. And I felt like he had the ability to kind of strengthen that um, defensive secondary. And, and now they're going to have to bring somebody in um, in the middle of March which is which is pretty wild. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't know. What do, you, what do you think, George? Do you think that this is um, this this is should we panic if you're a University of Arizona fan or or is it just one of those things where you're like, oh, that he was working with somebody he likes to work with more? No, I think that this is more of an indictment on the state of Arizona football, because if you're a coach like like coach me. And you don't necessarily have a like a even though he's been around the Pac-12 a lot, you you're looking to advance your career, get more stable, all of that. 
don't you want to get off of like, like if, if, if you work at a company and you have been there for a while and you're like, Ooh, this could be going down. Like this could be, I could be on a sinking ship, not a hundred percent sure, but it could be. And then somebody comes along in a, in, you know, a cruise ship, you're going to be like, eh, I might jump on that. Cause that ain't going nowhere. I know that's not going anywhere, at least for a while. And I have an opportunity to set down some roots, do a good job there, and potentially advance if Carl Durrell does well. I think that this was more about jumping off a sinking ship than anything else. Yeah, that's unfortunate. And, you know, maybe it's too many cooks in the kitchen, too, because Paul Rhodes comes over and he takes that defensive coordinator job, and he's traditionally a defensive backs coach. So, you know, maybe you could have some philosophical differences there. It'll be interesting to see if Arizona um, doesn't hire a uh, – if, if maybe if they hire an additional linebackers coach or just somebody who can just recruit the way that kind of ASU was um, going about it. Cause that's where they really need a boost. Uh, what's interesting to me is now we got another guy who is sort of touched at a bunch of different PAC 12 schools and someone tweeted me this week and I think it'd be a fantastic idea. And if I get some time this week, I might actually do it, but to break down a list of the current PAC 12 assistants to see who is actually coached at the most PAC 12 schools in their coaching career. Cause we're getting to the point where we got a few who have, who have maybe been at five or six. And, uh, that, that's kind of interesting to me because, you know, then you're going out recruiting and telling people like, Hey, don't go there. Uh, because I used to coach there and here's all the like d- dirty little secrets or whatever. Um, or the opposite of like, you know, it, it takes the credibility away of someone trying to recruit against another school when they might just take a job at that school, you know, a, a few months from now. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, it sucks for it sucks for Arizona with their spring ball. But Colorado, you know, they are the they're like trying to come back like you can't hate it. You you know, like you you want Colorado to be better. So hopefully things go better for them, especially with them starting spring ball like like Arizona State has started spring ball, Arizona. Cal, Stanford, they all are going with the early spring ball approach. And Arizona State started it last year, you know, kind of that winter spring ball. And, and you, you kind of like it, George, don't you? Uh, yes. It's weird. Like, part of me doesn't like it. Part of, part of me does. I think that it depends on your bowl situ- situation. If you are like a team like Oregon and you played in in the Rose Bowl, then I probably wouldn't start spring ball quite quite as early. But if you're a team like Arizona and you haven't played in months, then yeah, I would start early. And it also gives you an opportunity to to fade injuries if somebody gets get gets hurt and you can spread out the practices over a longer period of time so you get more work, more work in the classroom, all of that stuff. Yeah, um I I don't I don't mind. I I get if in the climates where it's possible, I think that's great. Um especially with the the kids who enroll early uh because more and more schools want want people to come over at semester. And so if you have kids that are coming in at semester, getting them on the football field right away to establish that culture is, is kind of a good idea, I think, then, you know, um, but at the same time, you're like, okay, well maybe you should let them get 
um, their class routine and stuff down. But let's be honest, you know, they're not there to go to class. They're there to play football. So, um, you know, football ends up kind of being the priority. You set the tone right away. You set expectations right away. And I think that that part of it's nice. Um, you know, there's some probably some well actually, you know, sticklers, <laughs> the people who object to anything that's not technically uh, correct, who who would want us to maybe change it and not call it spring practice anymore if, you know, it's not actually going to take place in spring. And uh, I, I get that too. But I don't know. It, it could be a good thing. And like, like we were talking about, you know, somebody tears their ACL in a February spring practice instead of a late March. And maybe they actually get to play. You know, maybe maybe they actually have time to recover from an injury. Um, not that that's the primary reason that it's being done, but that could be one of the benefits. Oh, that definitely could be. I totally agree with that aspect of it. Um, but who do you think out of those four teams that are starting already, Arizona State, Arizona, Cal, and Stanford, has has the most to like, like the, that needs to make the biggest strides or who can make the biggest strides you think in their spring ball? Ah, yikes. I think that Cal has a pretty established situation out there and they don't have a ton of ton, They got some new coaches, but they don't have a ton of new coaches. Um, obviously Arizona state's having to install an offense work with two new offensive linemen that are going to be, starting um and they got a new defensive coordinator as well uh, but they also have an established quarterback they do need to figure out what's going on at receiver i think it's really important for university of arizona to go out there and just get on the football field and not lose <laughs> you know go out and have a practice and everybody have fun for the biggest thing for for me last year was not really knowing who was going to be a successful receiver at University of Arizona, and now they just go out for spring practice, and the guy that's kind of taken over is their number one, Jamari Joyner. It turns out he's injured, and he's probably going to miss the whole thing. So that's not good for them, but the hidden blessing is that more people who need to step up will get some reps. I'm a big believer in Grant Gunnell being the perfect guy for that system, um, but I think Will Plummer early enrolled, and he might actually push him a little bit. Um, so they they need they have a lot to figure out. Stanford um, – you know, Stanford's interesting because they had so many guys leave the program that that they're, there's a bunch of guys that are just going to get a ton of reps, and they've got a new quarterback yeah. to rally behind. Not a ton is changing about that system, so I think it's more just about the reps for them. I think they it, do need to change the system. That's what <laughs> – I'm serious, man. Intellectual brutality. It Michigan is trying to do this as well. Well, they were trying to do it, and then – Jim Harbaugh was like, hold up, this doesn't work. It's over. That brand of football is over. Alabama can't do it anymore. They've had to open it up, throw it. LSU figured out they can't do it. Stanford is the last of the, the late adopters. If they don't get, you can be run oriented and that be your first go-to. Look at, look at the 49ers. Run, run, run. Throw it when you, throw it when you can. But or throw it when you need to. And Stanford can be that, but they have to be able to pass the ball. They have to open it up a little bit more because that thing is dead. Like with the way Oregon's uh, line and defense is now and the way Washington's defense is now in the North and Cal as well, they're getting better athletes. It's going to be 
very tough because we saw what Oregon's offensive line was able to do against Auburn and their guys at the combine said that was the best offensive line they had seen all year. You saw what they did against Utah, saw what they did against Wisconsin. You, you, you've seen Washington's defense be super stout, except for uh, last year when they were young. I, it's just, it just, it's not going to work. I I don't see it working. Do you think it's possible? Mm, Yeah. I mean, anything's possible, I guess. (laughs) We, we got to be more positive, George. I, we, we are, we, we just talked about how good the other defenses are in the Pac-12. We're just, you know, Stanford's just got some ways to right, go. We, but we, I think that <laughs> we took a see. I think our our way of being positive was to take a break from talking about the Pac-12 altogether and laugh at dudes whose life is getting ruined by looking at online pornography. <laughs> <laughs> our 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 Dude. version of positivity is our, our that's is a funny. little bit off. Um, Arizona, though, I think Arizona has the most to gain. I think that. They need to figure out an identity and who's going to be their quarterback. Because last year, shuffling through Khalil Tate Amsden and Grant Grant Gannell was a disaster. It, it never worked out. It never, you know, felt cohesive. It, it was just all wrong from the beginning. So I just don't see a way that that works aside from, you know, from them like finding a quarterback being committed to it and playing playing ball like i think that um that kevin sumlin has to figure something out because they the, the, it's not headed in the right direction right now that's yeah. what i think so i was talking to matt moreno who actually runs the uh, rival site down here um for the university of arizona uh, because we were all out in California for the for the rivals camp, we got to see some of the top prospects in the entire Southwest. And Pac-12 has definitely got its work cut out for them if they if they want to convince some of these elite kids to stick around the the conference. But you know, it was nice to catch up with with uh, with, with some of my friends out there and had the Oregon publisher and and the UCLA publisher and and uh, and Matt Moreno, the Arizona publisher, was saying that you know he he's not a hundred percent confident that they're behind Grant Gannell in the first place that, and if you just look at the history and this is me talking now, not Matt, but if you just look at the history of Kevin Sumlin, it's basically to like, he's he, Kevin Sumlin seems to be more obsessed with the backup quarterback than most fans are. Cause usually it's what the, the saying is, you know, everybody yeah. players, a backup quarterback. Well, you know, I, I, I almost wonder if, you know, we saw Khalil Tate out there, um, you know, and, and there were definitely issues. I'm ready to admit that Khalil Tate, you know, just kind of being scared of getting hurt and scared of being hit. Uh, some of that's on him. But at the same time, that system was better for Gunnell, even though they were starting Khalil Tate. And it makes you wonder if Grant Gunnell goes out there and he struggles and they got this guy behind him and Will Plummer, who played at kind of a downtrodden high school that where he had to carry the load all by himself and make stuff happen all by himself. You know, if 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 all of a sudden those strengths of, you know, Arizona not being very good. So you have a guy who's willing to go out there and make plays himself who isn't scared to get hit. You know, all of a sudden we end up with a bunch of Arizona fans and maybe even Kevin Sumlin in the back of his head saying, oh, maybe we've got to go with the backup. 
And I, once you've just established a culture and a habit of doing something like that and no quarterbacks really truly established and no quarterbacks really truly safe, at least not since Johnny Manziel was throwing passes out in college station um, or, or our, our, uh, who's the, who's the record setting guy that he had at Houston. Um, the, the oh, still uh, Ka- uh, Case Keenum, Case Keenum. Yeah. And uh, you know, since, Really, since those guys, and and I think both of those guys he inherited. I'm, I don't think he he convinced either one of those guys to. I think they were already there, if I'm not mistaken. And so, you know, this is a this is an interesting situation in in that, you know, maybe it's just Kevin Sumlin's nature to kind of set it up to where the backup quarterback is is the one who you always kind of have an eye on. And so, um, I I just hope they go out and kind of give Grant Gannell a vote of confidence and say like you're gonna we're gonna we're going to live or die with you. Cause the, you know, that was the, that was a decision they decided to make in, in, in bringing him in. Um, who I think he was originally committed to Texas A&M, you know, and he followed the staff out. And if you're going to run with Grant Gannell and you were going to bring him out to Tucson and he's going to move out to Tucson. And um, I, th- I think you got to roll with him. So um, that's just, I, I don't know. Arizona football is, is enigmatic. And now the coaches are, are kind of bailing on them and, and they're, you know, wide receiver, main wide receivers hurt and questions at quarterback. And I just, what a mess. Yep. What a mess, but it is, but it is a beautiful mess because this is the positive show. The positive this shows. The positive they were wearing, show. they're wearing the desert swarm throwback, uh, block red, white, and blue a helmets in spring practice. Those are nice. That's a nice thing. That's a compliment. Yep. Yep, totally agree with that. Keep keeping <laughs> um, it positive. Yep. Uh, oh, so another thing, uh, internet rabbit hole to go down, is the Pac-12 teams, because John Wilner, who will be a guest on Pac-12 Apostles next week, who writes for the um, the Mercury, uh, writes all about the Pac-12 and all that. Um, he'll be a, a guest great, next a Great week. job. He does a really good job. Yes. Yes. Fan, fantastic. And then we're going to have Ken, uh, Kenzano a couple weeks after after that. We're going to be power-packed Pac-12 Apostles upcoming soon. Um, so he wrote an article about uh, him and Kenzano wrote an article based upon Mike Bone, USC's new athletic director, making a comment about U.S. everything being on the table for USC, including potentially going independent. And Kenzano, who writes about Oregon for the most part and does TV radio about it, um, was and the Pac-12 in general, was talking about how uh, Oregon may be positioned to do that as well. So we wanted to talk about what teams, like is independence like a real thing? Because right now the independents are BYU, Notre Dame, who's been hugely successful, um, UConn is turning into an independent inexplicably and, uh, and like army. Yeah. I, we, we, I mean, there are a couple of teams that I think could be okay as independents, but I, I think that the conference affiliation probably does most people the most good, you know, at least in just giving you a consistent schedule to play and setting expectations. What BYU does, I think they're able to do because they've done it forever you know, uh, what UConn does, I think they do just out of necessity and same with same with Army. I don't think it's that appealing for people to have to go out on their own and handle everything themselves. Well, UConn jumped out of a conference. You're like, oh, but but why, though? Right. 
when when you're one of the worst teams. Like I I look at when when I look at independence, being an independent, I look at obviously you have to be able to fund yourself. And you have in football, like you have to be able to generate at least as much money and have the potential to generate more. But you'll be in a position like Notre Dame playing 12 games or if you can find a 13th. So you don't have a conference championship game unless you go undefeated. It's going to be tough to get in the college football playoff. I, there are some disadvantages to it, but if your brand is strong enough, you can do it. Like, like Alabama could leave the SEC and be just fine in football. That was the plot. Wasn't the plot of Ballers like USC going independent, or was that was just with their television yeah. contract? Yeah, that that was having their own television contract. They could. I mean, you you people will still schedule you. I don't think that you'll be able to build. You know, I think you have to have kind of some of the tradition, the way that Notre Dame does, in order to do it. But yeah. I, um. I think you just. Who do you think in the Pac-12 could do it? Could go independent. Um, Utah. Yeah. I think Utah could do it. Um, I think that they, having already come from another conference, you know, I don't think they're super beholden. They're obviously, you know, hundreds of miles from the next nearby school. Um, it's kind of a major airport hub, so they could really get anywhere. Uh, and I, I think that they could probably pull it off. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure about Colorado. Colorado went from one major conference to another. You know, Utah kind of had the glow up. Um, I think that, uh, I don't know. I think that that's kind of it. Stanford might be able to make it work, but with the understanding that they they probably, they would probably be more on BYU's level if they decided to to do that they you know it wouldn't be the days of old where they were really struggling but it definitely wouldn't wouldn't be um like some of the really really high times that they've had in the last eight or nine seasons so i think that stanford um stanford because they recruit nationally you know they could even make it work for them in recruiting like hey we'll try to get a game in your home state yeah i definitely do think that they could make it yeah i and i i think that utah has the constitution and the fan base um they don't, you know, B, BYU obviously has the LDS connection and there are members of the LDS church all throughout the country, mainly kind of concentrated uh, on the West, sort of up the, uh, up the 89 freeway. You know, you got, you got Arizona and Idaho and, you know, Wyoming, Colorado, the, um, but, but they, they also have uh, a lot of Polynesian members and stuff like that. So, you know, BYU can schedule games in Hawaii and Southern California and, still be relevant, still have fans traveling. Um, and a lot of people, you know, people who are um, in the LDS faith, they come from somewhere else to go to Provo and then they go move elsewhere. And and, and while Utah has some of that, um, it's definitely not as much. And so, um, you know, Utah, if they did do it, I think it would be a step back for them in the competition that they would have to play. They already kind of struggled to recruit and who knows how much, how many players they've gotten just over the last 10 years by being able to say like, Hey, you know, yeah, Utah might not be the most glamorous place, but look at that. We play USC every single year. We play Oregon, you know, most, most years. And so, you know, they probably landed some recruits just off the strength of, of being part yeah, of that. And saying they, they didn't rec 
recruit you, come over here. Now yeah. you can beat him. Prove it to him. Exactly. And so the rabbit hole I went down today was <laughs> I sent it to you too. It's this guy named uh, Rob Boron, who he is a you know he is a data scientist. So uh, you know he says he's according to his Twitter bio, he's a data scientist and a fellow he, fellow Wyomingite. Uh, so there's not many Wyomingites out there. So shout out to Rob, I guess. Yeah, and he's the modeler of the, the beta rank. And he does uh, a, a competing pod, podcast with uh, inferior uh, branding, but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but but he is a, a smart guy though. But but I'm not always into the beta stuff and all of that because it's supposed to be a forward-looking metric. But then, how can you look forward after the season? Like, like the results are the results, but they still try to say one team was better than another team. So they're trying to say, like, if you look at some of these beta rankings by some of these people, Washington was the third best team in the Pac-12 last last year. And you're like, no, they lost five, five games. I saw it happen. And they're like, yeah, but it's expected that they would. No, no, I saw them lose five, five games. I don't care what your beta rank says. But anyways. Um, so it all started with, uh, him. He commented on the Canzano piece about, um, about USC, I'm sorry, about Oregon being able to go independent because they have Phil Knight, Nike, powerful national brand. They could do it like USC. And he commented that, um, uh, that, that South Carolina, well, that South Carolina and other brands were equal or below USC. And he said, if all these brands are below USC are so incredibly strong, then how come the PAC 12 is so bad at making money? It's USC, then a gap, then UCLA, then a gap, then the rest population and fan base size. And I just thought that this was like super short sighted because I was like, population has nothing to do with it. With whether you're saying population has nothing to do with whether or not a team could survive as an independent, that's what you're saying. Yes. Okay. Correct. And I and I would I would agree I would agree just that with some of the strongest South Bend, brands, Indiana ain't big either. Yeah. Some of the, Alab- I mean, yeah. Clemson has like eighteen thousand people in the whole city, if that. Right. Nebraska's brand is incredibly strong, and you know Lincoln's got just a couple hundred thousand people. So I mean, exactly. I, I think Salt Lake City's one hundred sixty thousand people. Provo's smaller than that, I believe. They run independent, and so I mean, it it, it really just depends on. Yeah, I I'm not sure that that I agree with his his assessment there. I mean, maybe that's just that Wyoming mindset of like of of being population obsessed because we got five hundred thousand people from our you know in our entire state, five people per square mile when you see a group of people, it's, it's pretty intimidating and pretty awe inspiring. So, <laughs> you know, I was out in LA with you this last weekend and I was just blown away. There's just human beings everywhere. I, you, you, you and I were, you know, we were going to go with a couple of friends of mine. We we're going to go into this, uh, into this like karaoke bar slash Italian place. And uh, I'm so glad you pulled the plug on it when you walked in and saw there was, wasn't really any room to stand or sit because me being from Wyoming, 
you know, I saw all those people and I was like, oh Lord, I'm gonna have an anxiety attack. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm just not crowded spaces. I'm not used to it where I'm from. You know, and I live out in the middle of the desert in Arizona. It's the same way. I'm, I, I moved even further into the desert to kind of get away from people. And so I mean, this is my theory on, on, on this guy, just be also being from Wyoming to, to look at a, a place that has 8 million people and being like, ah, well, they could probably handle it. They got 8 million people, but it's just, it, it really comes down to, you know, UCLA can't even make their budget now. You know, so I don't know. I don't know. You're talking about teams that can, you know, survive as an independent with all the resources that they have. It really comes down to the fervor of the people that sort of surround that program. If UCLA can't meet its current budget, but if University of Nebraska is bringing 100,000 people to the spring game uh, with people who can't even get in, who just drive eight hours just to stand outside and cook out, you know, I'm probably going to go with the one that can consistently fill its stadium you know, and the, and that doesn't have any issues meeting its budget, despite the, the, the size to say that they could, um, survive on their own. So I, I don't know. I just, this whole thing is so weird because Mike bone floats this out there and you have to wonder, is it red meat for the base? Because this conference commissioner is near universally disliked. Um, or, or is it real or is it, is it meant to put pressure on the conference in general to do better, or is it meant to just try to get some approval? Oh, it's pressure. Oh, dude, listen. You I want to believe that. This that. Man I want to believe that. Not but... fire that did that was hired to fire Clay Helton is going to like be have the stones in year one to really be like, listen, we're considering independence. The tinfoil no, tinfoil hat guy in me, though, is saying that, like, what better way to at least try to get back on people's good side after making a decision that that made people very upset than to say, I mean, we might not need this conference. We might not need this commissioner, you know, because that, Dude, until he, he, he's he does in need of some goodwill. This is Larry Scott talk. This is Larry yes. Scott talk. OK, until he does. Something. I'm with you 100 percent there because we live in a political climate where. Um, all of these like candidates were in the middle of a, of a presidential race, right? So we saw this the other day, Bill de Blasio, the mayor of New York, he was running for president and he uh, dropped out of the race. And, you know, he has been sort of from the sidelines, putting pressure on other candidates to drop out. And before Pete Buttigieg dropped out, Bill de Blasio was just blasting him online, right? Like you need to drop out and endorse. You're wasting everybody's time. You know, basically saying like, man, you're garbage. Just quit. And then the second that he does drop out, you get a tweet nine days later that's like, hey, you ran a great campaign. You did a great job. I'm proud to know you. You know, and it's just like, oh man, all of this is just like red. It's it's just meat for the base. That's it. It doesn't mean anything. All these candidates come out on a debate stage, blast each other, just say stuff that if somebody said about me to my face, I'd be mad for 10 years. And then they go and have a beer together afterwards. So nothing really means anything anymore. And that's, that's been kind of one of the things that I've respected about the way that the PAC 12 has gone about, you know, not disparaging Larry Scott and protecting Larry Scott and not really biting the hand that feeds is it makes me believe like, Oh, they really are backing him then because it could be so easy just to go out there knowing that everyone hates Larry Scott and say like, Hey, you know, everything's on the table. We could do anything. We're obviously not doing the best job that we could. And so we're just going to throw it out there. You know, and everyone be like, yeah, yeah, that's that's right. Um, and then behind closed doors go and, and and clink glasses with Champagne Larry, you know, 
and yeah and and have everything be fine but that hasn't been the case so that makes me feel that like the backing has kind of been genuine but what better way for mike bone to get some goodwill than to blast larry scott and maybe he doesn't mean it you never know oh dude i i don't believe anything that anybody says until they actually do something i mean it's super easy to get up there and talk the big game and then walk it back a little bit, but then just say, no, no, I'm not walking it back. I'm just saying everything's on the table. Come on, man. I'll believe it when, when I see it, but I do believe. So the, so, so the whole tweet from this guy, um, Rob Boron was just, I was just saying that population size has nothing to do with it. And he said that UCLA's fan base, football fan base is bigger than, Oregon's football fan base. And I was like, what kind of sense does that make? Like UCLA as a brand, like when you consider history, all the sports, all of that stuff is a bigger brand. It's the most applied to university in the world. The most applied to university in the world. So like you can't deny UCLA's brand. However, when you're going to look at like what has happened in the last you know, decade with UCLA, their basketball team for the first time in the history, I think, of UCLA basketball for a decade was not ranked number one. Their football team has been in shambles, shambles, barely any winning seasons. Like, come on, man. Like you, like UCLA is a huge brand. But UCLA football, which would be independent while the other things are are not independent, would be it is like <laughs> the interest in UCLA football, even when it's really good, is not the same as it is when UCLA basketball is really good. I don't think it, I don't I honestly I just I don't think that anybody should be going independent. If anything else, I think we should expand the conference. I think that they should extend, they should have like a Pac 12A and a Pac 12B, extend an invite to to the Mountain West schools and create which, basically like a which pack. ones? All of them. Create create a mega. Oh no. Oh yeah. no. No, not the Mountain West school. Ralph, yes. no. 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 Uh, Ralph. Create- are you kidding me? No, no, no. No, you no, where you where you go to is you go to the Big 12. I don't and you try to get yeah dude like you try to get Oklahoma to come in you try to get Texas to come in and they can keep the Longhorn network that's what you try to do this is what I this is what I think you should do you should you should go and grab the Mountain West schools and say like hey we're creating that way they stop beating you <laughs> well that's just it say we're creating a mega conference Mountain West and Pac-12 everything stays relatively the same but the top two teams in the Mountain West every single year knock the bottom two teams in the Pac-12 down. So you essentially have like a promotion and relegation deal with them. It creates an interest that nobody else in the country has because there's movable parts. There's actual like money on the line for these football programs, right? I think it increases interest in the in the Mountain West. I think it'll convince some more prospects to consider sticking around because they actually have the possibility of ending up in the Pac-12 if they put together a special season or a good recruiting class. 
Um, and I, I, I just think it, it would give you something that nobody else has to have the opportunity for, you know, Boise state to come in, knock university of Arizona out. And then you have Arizona university of Arizona for a year um, saying like, all right, how do we get back in? Right. And so I just think that, I, I think that that could be, that could be like a really, really special, really unique thing that would increase interest and viewership because nobody else is doing it. And it could just sort of be the Western United States kind of coming together and saying, Hey, we have this, we have this really cool thing. That's, that's just, different Oh, Oh, and put it on the, and put it on the 18 million and put it in the 18 million homes, even though there's like 40 million, even though there's like 50 million homes in that footprint, just put it in 18 of them. No problem. <laughs> see, you got to stay positive, George. Oh, you got to stay positive. I see. I didn't even bring up the TV thing, even though as of March 1st, the YouTube TV that I just subscribed to one month ago. Now, does, I love YouTube TV. It does nothing for me anymore because they just dumped the Fox regional stuff. So, now, oh, did you hear how that happened? No. Uh, was it Sinclair? Yes. So. Uh, so Disney, I'm sorry. So, um, oh Lord, this is the rabbit hole and it all goes back to Disney. Oh, so Disney, uh, Disney and Hulu are now partners. Yeah. And then, um, and then the Fox sports and then Disney bought the properties from Fox and then sold them to Sinclair the uh, Fox Sports regional networks to Sinclair. Then right. Sinclair I just, I just raised the there. Sinclair sucks. <laughs> yeah, and then they raised the prices on YouTube TV, and now the Fox Sports regional networks are only available on because there's a streaming war between YouTube TV and Hulu TV, which I subscribe to both, and <laughs> and have no cable, and then um. And then they raised the prices on Sinclair and then I'm sorry, Sinclair raised the prices and they're like, no, 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 uh, we're not paying that. Or they just were like, listen, give give us a billion dollars and you can have them. Just an unreasonable thing. And now it's only available on Hulu. So like the Yes Network um, and some other big networks for, you know, for Yankee fans or some regional uh, and some of the Fox Sports regional channels are now only on Hulu TV, which now guess what that means? This is these are the wars, the company wars, and that's how they're fought. I I hate it because I just want to know where my stuff is going to be. And I was getting used to YouTube TV. I kind of like it. I I like it a lot actually. Like it just automatically records everything that I need it to. I yep. YouTube TV and is the only thing I watch from my phone. I don't really watch anything else from from my phone, I'll use a computer or, or a Mac or whatever. Um, and I, and so like YouTube TV, I was getting used to checking in on these games live, going back, um, uh, you know, for some of this other stuff that I do for the pro sports down here in the, um, in Arizona, you know, catching all the sun's games that way, that was fantastic. But now I got to cancel my YouTube TV and switch over to Hulu and make sure that I maintain sling you know, and it's good just, thing there's no contracts. <laughs> oof, yeah, it, it sucks. So it, now, now we're just down the rabbit hole of, of of that stuff again. But I mean, just it would be it would just if Pac-12 Network could get on something else that matters besides what are they on like Fubo or some nonsense? 
if they could what get is that? I don't even know what that is. Like I, I, I haven't even investigated to see what that is because I don't know anybody who who has FUBU. Right. I mean, I th- I thought I thought Damon John shut FUBU down like <laughs> 15 years ago. So tell me this though, if Sling decides to give the Pac-12 network the boot, what does Larry Scott oh. do then? Oh, okay. So what what Larry Scott does is the stupid shit that that he just said. Here's what Larry Scott said. Now we'll we'll just ride right into that. He said <laughs> the the Pac-12 that their media strategy for upcoming is the upcoming year is it we we got to look at 2021 and then that's when we can begin divining our strategy in 2021 guess what happens in 2021 Ralph the titans of sport renew their deal yes the nfl that they are going to they usually redo their deals 15 to 18 months before they're up or figure out who their new partners are going to be all of this stuff. Cause they can't have any gap. Hmm. So you mean to tell me that the PAC 12 who has been quote unquote, seeking a strategic partner to assist with media rights and positioning to give a cash infusion is going to that you're waiting on the NFL to get its rights deals done because that some kind of way Im- impacts you. What? Like the, like you are so far down in the pecking order. There's the NFL. Then there's the big 10. Then the uh, SEC in terms of m- media rights. Cause the big, big 10, like p- people think the SEC is the biggest and has the biggest fan interest. No, it's the big 10, big 10, SEC, uh, and then the Big 12 and ACC are in third, and then Pac-12's last in terms of the amount of homes, the amount of money that's generated, the interest, because you can't really have a whole lot of interest when you're not available. And so Larry Scott, the insanity that is him trying to keep his job again, saying, I see 2021 as an inflection point. I, I just, like, he says, we'll see who gets the pieces of the NFL. So the NFL currently has rights with CBS, Fox, NBC, ESPN, and some of those only run through 2022. And then you look at the other conferences, you got the Big Ten, their deal with ESPN and Fox runs through 2023. Pac-12s expire with ESPN and Fox in 24. 25 the big 12 the big 12's deals are up and then you gotta remember that the sec just signed just left cbs and they're going to be going with espn with their games of the week so where does the pac-12 fit into this ralph if the sec just came in and took up some of the oxygen in the in the on espn but the Pac-12 has deals with ESPN and Fox. The Big Ten's deals are pretty much with Fox because they got the high noon thing. Like, you know, like where does the Pac-12 games go? Like if you're waiting to renegotiate, where do they go? Right. Letting letting the chips fall 
is being reactive and and uh, we we definitely need someone in there who can be proactive. The weirdest thing about all the the Pac-12 issues and not being able to find a partner or somebody to stream with is that a lot of these companies, especially these streaming companies, are like located one block from where the Pac-12 is paying, you know, six million dollars a year in rent for Larry Scott to hang out. So <laughs> to not be able to just walk down the street and find somebody, you know, to partner with is kind of frustrating. But the way that I look at it is this. If you're if you are waiting to see who sets the market to see where you fit in, you just can't you can't be acting like you compare to the people who set the market, right? So let's say that, you know, DeAndre Ayton and Marvin Bagley and a couple other people, they signed shoe deals with Puma. Because you know Puma is trying to get into the into the basketball endorsement game, uh, and they are they are trying to be the cornerstone of this company. So the number one and the number two pick in the 2018 NBA draft both sign with Puma. And if DeAndre Ayton and Marvin Bagley are waiting to see what they're going to do with their new shoe deal uh, with Puma, um, if they're waiting to see the new contract that LeBron James signs with Nike in order to set the market for them. I don't think that that's smart because they are not LeBron. LeBron and that market don't necessarily apply to what it is they're trying to do. It might be similar. It still might be shoes on NBA players, but that's just not your stratosphere. That's not the same oxygen that you breathe. Right. And so waiting for the NFL to do anything. um, And I'm a lay person and I'm not an executive. So, you know, maybe this doesn't make any sense at all. Maybe people are who are in the know are sitting at home listening to this and laughing at me when I say it, but waiting for the NFL to do anything would, would just, to me, it it, would, it would seem like, you know, uh, just a cock, a cockroach, you know, trying to figure out where it's going to hang out in the house after you move in all the furniture. Right. It's just not, it's not necessarily significant. It, It could affect the decisions that you make, but it's not you're you're not the important person you're not on that level you're not uh, i i don't know i just i think that the the Pac-12 should operate as if it is doing whatever it takes in its own interest and essentially ignore what else is going on out there because uh if you really play the compare game if you really are trying to stack up that's the creation of most of the frustration in the first place is saying like Wow, the Pac-12 doesn't stack up well against all of these other things that exist out there in the marketplace. And so it should be better for just the Pac-12 to worry about the Pac-12 and see what they can get done and see what they can yep. uh, achieve without having to worry about the national football. I mean, the national football, yeah. same national football Dude. league that's going to be, you know, that, that that exists in a world in which Tony Romo is going to get paid $1 million per game. <laughs> to yep. broadcast well well doesn't it make it's the the other part that makes it so foolish is why would you be waiting on anybody yeah like it like if you then things are dried up at that point in point in time why don't you go be proactive try to sell your rights to dozen try to sell them to you know hulu tv or youtube tv negotiate your way out of your deal in a way that is that makes money for everybody and they'll be willing to get out of yeah. the deal tiptoe but, down but to re- tiptoe down to netflix headquarters and yep. say like hey you know netflix is the biggest thing in the world right now that's definitely an option yep so why <clears throat> the other thing is 
that this is how the Pac-12 operates. They're reactionary to everything. The other conferences, the ACC and I think the Big Ten have, or, or the Big 12 have already said that they're cool with one-time transfers. And the, the, the Pac-12 is still formulating a position on it. Yeah, like, wait down to see where everybody else stands. And 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 it's just so much waffling. So There's no vision. Like, you that can't article, say that you're a visionary. Yeah, that article, if, one of the if article you don't you're talking do anything. about with Wilner that just came up, he said, you know, Larry Scott said, well, I was just hanging out with one of uh, uh, the donors to one of the schools. And they said, like, hey, these 8 p.m. tip-offs and kickoffs are really, really tough, but we understand the need for exclusivity. And so he's like lauding this donor for coming out and saying, hey, this is really hard on me, but I understand that we need money. You know, and, and, and Larry Scott is essentially praising this guy for seeing that things are complicated. But at the same time, Larry Scott's not taking any time to acknowledge the fact that like, hey, this donor is telling you these tip off and kickoff times suck. They're really, really yeah, hard. You, how can you take a family to a midweek game that starts at eight o'clock? I mean, like, um, I mean, even if you have teenage kids, you're getting home 10, uh, not even 10 o'clock, 1030, 11 o'clock. They got to go to school the next next day. Imagine if you're trying to take a a younger child, you know, a third, fourth grader like I got running around my house. It's it's untenable. That's why you can't fill up the stadiums. Right. And then you do. Let's say that you do want to bring your kids and it is a Sunday or Saturday basketball game that's tipping off at 6 p.m. Uh, Pacific. So you, you get your kids together and you get the whole family and all of a sudden you get everybody up to the door and your wife gets turned away because of a clear bag policy. Like there are there are so many things that exist in the Pac-12 as barriers uh, of of entry just to basic enjoyment. If you, it's it's very hard to find a place to be able to watch it on TV. It's it's overly difficult to be able to find a way to watch it on TV that fits with the modern American budget in their own household. It's very hard to be able to take your family out to tailgate nowadays. It's very hard to be able to, to take your family to a game that tips off when you're not going to get home till midnight on a school night. Like everything is all designed so that people on the East Coast can have a good time watching a game as they work their night shift in a toll booth. I don't know. <laughs> so, <laughs> also, okay. you can, well, also, you can report back to the networks and say like, hey, when there was nothing else on, we got a lot of viewers in Rhode Island. Yep, yep. And the numbers, but then when it comes to negotiate negotiation time, they're going to be like, well, look, you guys only average a million fans per, per uh, game. These yeah, other what, conferences. What, what are you going to say in that brief. moment? What are you going to say? Well, but the NFL, like, no, the NFL no, no, no. It's our it's our time slot. It's yeah. our it's our time slot. If you give us a better time slot, I promise we'll do better. Get out of here. Um, on a on a on a more positive note, though, <laughs> we did it again. According to Andy Katz, uh, his predictions for the brackets for March Madness. Guess how many Pac-12 teams there are, Ralph? Uh, is it five? No, sir. We're banging on number six. Ooh. So right now, they have Arizona State as an eight seed, USC as a nine, Arizona as a five, Oregon as a four, Stanford as an 11, and Colorado as a seven. 
Did you notice whose name I did not mention? I did not hear. Did I not hear USC? No, you did hear USC. They right now have USC as a nine seed. The name that you did not hear is the team that's leading the Pac-12. And that's UCLA. He, they're not predicted to be in the tournament yet? No, sir. Not, a, not according to Andy Katz. Ah, they're the best team in the Pac-12. But it, it truthfully, that's not, it's not, it's not common that a, that a d- division or a, not, not a division, but a conference winner doesn't get into the tournament, but it has happened. Well, it happens in all these tiny conferences, right? When like Oakland, yeah. Oakland comes into their conference tournament at 15 and 15, gets hot, battles off four wins, and then all of a sudden whoever wins that conference might have been 28 and two and they don't get to, you know, they have to go play in the NIT or whatever. But in the Pac-12, that shouldn't be the case, especially with the way that UCLA is playing. They are on fire. They are so much fun to watch. Yeah, it is... Mick Cronin, who people were questioning at the beginning of the year, I think it is by far a landslide, a shoe-in that he's back 12 coach of the year. Unless the unless the football coaches are voting again. <laughs> I think, uh, well, um, I think stuff really, I, I, I think it's still unsettled. I think if ASU sneaks a couple of wins and and UCLA falls off a little bit, then there's a possibility in this last weekend here um, that Hurley gets a couple of votes. But I I do think that UCLA, um, I I do think that based on, you know, didn't they start like eight and nine? I think that they really deserve uh, as much consideration as they can get for the tournament, for any postseason awards. I'm just loving it. They had a fantastic weekend. They, they, they beat, um, Arizona, which I know that Sean Miller hates because I think that those two are old rivals from the Xavier Cincinnati days. Uh, and, and so, they, so do you think he got thrown out of that game on purpose? Cause he got thrown out in the, what the uh, first half, right? Miller. Yeah. Yeah. Sean, I, Sean Miller. Yeah. I, I think that he just, he, he, he doesn't like being around Cronin at all. I mean, that's a fact. And, um, and I mean, it, he, he probably needed a break from watching his team play to be honest, because they're the most frustrating team in the entire Pac-12. They are mega talented. They almost always have the best big man on the court, and they have a point guard who has the ability to take over the game and just sort of stays a little bit passive, and then they just jack threes like crazy for no reason. I think they they had back-to-back games in L.A. where they shot under 30% from three, and they just kept shooting them, and I, I don't understand that. I don't understand why they don't, they aren't going down low to Zeke Naji. And I, I just don't understand why they don't take advantage of the fact that they have skilled big men. So maybe Sean Miller just needed a break from watching his own team play because they are. <laughs> he was like, I'm sick of this. I'm out of here. Oh man. And then USC played some great defense over the weekend. They get wins over Arizona and Arizona state. I just defensively, I think that they're, they're incredible. Um, yeah. It's, it's an interesting conference where anybody has a chance to win, but the fact that, University of Arizona can just keep tanking road game after road game after road game and and probably end up the highest seed in the entire conference is really confusing to me. And it's why I don't pay much attention to any of the bracketology or anything, because the more I try to understand it, the less I understand. And uh, and ultimately, when they set the seeds anyway, you have to beat everybody in order to win. 
right? So it doesn't really matter where you're put. You got to win out. Um, but it is going to be weird to see, you know, University of Arizona possibly finish sixth or something in the conference, have the highest seed while UCLA wins the conference maybe and doesn't go to the tournament at all. <laughs> so I, yeah. that, that's why I, I have a hard time with this. Um, well, the, the only thing that I have a trouble with is the, is the damn net rankings. That's what I can't get my mind around that they use these quadrant one games, how you win, how you play. Because Arizona State, I'm sorry, Arizona is 19 and 20, four and five on the road, one and three in uh, neutral site, three and one in neutral site games, and 12 and three at home. But their net ranking is higher than Oregon. uh, By so their net ranking is 10 in the country. Oregon's is 18, Colorado is 23, Stanford 27. Then you go all the way down to SC at 39. Like it just Arizona State at 49. And you're like, how like how does this make sense when Arizona has only beaten one ranked team the entire season? And that was Colorado. Everybody else they lost to. Yeah, and watch them. I mean, that's just it. Watch them play. They are infuriating. And that's what the the numbers don't respect any of that. The numbers don't uh, respect the fact that you watch an Arizona team that absolutely passes the eyeball test and should be running teams by 20, but it just struggles, struggles through every single one of these games. Um, and, and then you might look at that and say, well, like then, yeah, then it knows exactly, you know, then it's, it knows exactly what it's doing because it's rating on potential and talent and, 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 and the way that they've stacked up against, you know, uh, previous non-conference teams. But at the same time, like the results are the results. Like you said earlier in the show, you know, when you, when you can actually watch somebody play and see that, you know, how, how incredibly underwhelming they are and realize that, you know, this underperforming that they do every single week might actually be their character. Maybe they're actually performing up to par, you know, and then to see them rewarded um, in spite of all that is, is just incredibly confusing and then the exact opposite is happening to to ucla like there's nothing in these rankings that really respect the fact that a team can change who they are and their lineup and the way that they're functioning and the earlier part of the season can mean absolutely nothing and that's that's the truth really when it comes around to the tournament is the early part of the season is three four months old it means nothing anymore all of these teams are new yep. and different in the way that they rotate in the way that yeah. they attack and the way they figured things out so taking an entire season into context for how a tournament should be seeded that happens at the end it has always been something that i've never been a huge fan of um, oh yeah this year it's just it's just out there you know where, where it's very obvious that arizona is kind of a bad basketball team and uh, they're getting a whole lot of love from mathematicians Oh yeah, and then you look at Oregon's situation. What what are they going to be without Duarte? You know, he's one of their leading scorers. They don't get a whole lot of scoring out of their front court. Like their back court is where the the, the money's made. So we'll see what happens with that. But guess where we may not be seeing that happen at Ralph in person. We may not be seeing March Madness in the NCAA tournament in person and live for games because of this nasty coronavirus. So um, there are 
um, like leagues have been putting out reports. NBA told guys, don't shake hands, don't sign autographs, don't take basketballs, all of these things, because you can be putting yourself at risk. And we don't know how many people are infected, and all, all of this stuff. Not enough people tested, all of this. So at this point, I'm just sitting there and I'm saying, well, I read, read, read an article about that the NCAA is considering not letting fans into games for March Madness and just having the games played for television. And that just like sent me down this whole rabbit hole of thought. I was like, could this be like spurn or spawn a new like like way of viewing sports? Because there are some sports who have dwindling live attendance but do well on television. They could sell interactive subscriptions the way you could hear in the huddle, or maybe you could, um, you know, like live betting if you're wired in to to the like all sorts of things. Like I I see this as a potential future thing than just scary with the coronavirus right now. That's horse racing now. That's horse racing. You can't be everywhere all the time. There's yet there's tracks all over the United States constantly running races. If you ever go to one of these Vegas sports books. You can have a feed into any race that's kicking off uh, or starting or whatever the word is for when horses start to run. Uh, any any race that's about to start, you just have a live feed into whatever that is. You got the you got the live betting, and you can just kind of park yourself out there and fill up your ashtray all day as you bet on the ponies. And and I think that you know I, that's why I've always been sort of um, amused at the hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars that all of these schools are pumping into stadium upgrades when the truth of the matter is pretty soon, we're not going to be going to games at all. We are moving closer and closer to a world that is like Wally, right? Or, or like, uh, what is it? Um, is it Fahrenheit 451 where they have like the full wall screens and everything, all the entertainment is just brought straight to you and you don't really have a reason to leave your home. Amazon's delivering all your goods, um, networks are delivering all of your entertainment and, uh, and you're able to telecommute for your job. And there's no real reason to leave the home at all. Like that's, that's our future. That's everything that we're moving toward is convenience, right? And it's not necessarily convenient to have to go out to these games and spend all this money and everything. And that's what always made me laugh about, you know, I think ASU just put $400 million into renovating Sun Devil Stadium. When the truth is all people really wanted at Sun Devil Stadium, you know what people wanted the most? Men wanted to not have to pee in troughs. They wanted some urinals, but they could live without yeah. them. They could live yep. without them. What people really wanted more than anything, George, is just the ability to not have their signal blocked so they could dick around on their phones during the game. That's all anybody wants. They just want to be able to go to a game, but also be able to see what's going on on Twitter. Right? Yep. They didn't care that they had to sit on metal bleachers. They didn't care that some of the seats were too far away. The mega donors who go out to the games and want to be super comfortable, they care. And they got all their big suites built and everything like that. But the truth is, all anybody really wants out at a game is to have a good time. And right now in our culture, having a good time includes being on your phone, being connected with your online community at the same time as your in-person community. But I think that that means that we're ultimately moving toward a a, a world in in which our online communities are probably our communities. See, and I thought about it as that aspect of it, but then the actual game impact, because I'm a huge March Madness fan. Yeah, I'm a fan of the upsets. I'm a fan of all of it. And 
and I got to thinking as a as a player, fans actually impact the game, especially in a close game or a potential upset. The other team gets tight or the uh the underdog, the Cinderella story starts to gain momentum. The crowd can kind of feel it. I just imagine playing a game with the with the ball echoing off the wall and how it would actually impact. Obviously, we we won't know because you don't know. It's not like you can play the game with both sets of uh, like you're saying you can't like run a controlled experiment. Yeah, yeah, I get that. So I I wonder how it will impact. Would all the higher seeds win? Would there be more upsets, less upsets? I'm just wondering how it would play out without the fans there. But you could you could recreate some of this because if people might think of that, like, oh, how crazy would it be to just have an empty stadium and then maybe the broadcast actually produces some of those crowd noises just for our uh, ambiance? How weird would that be? And I think a lot of people would reject that idea and act like we didn't grow up watching multicam shows with canned laughter or studio laughter our entire lives of like them telling us when to laugh or when to say on during fresh prince of bel-air or step by step like that that was what we grew up with we literally grew up with canned responses guided responses to things so it's very possible that the future of consuming sport includes fake crowd noise just so that it eases us into the transition of watching people play in an empty stadium. I could totally see something like that happening. I could even also see uh, the ability for crowds to participate in crowd noise from home, right? We, you and I were just laughing at this whole like uh, culture of, of like only fans where people conduct their uh, sordid relationships through the internet. Uh, but they're, you know, they're like tipping these women live and it's making like a cash register sound every time they do it. What if you were at home and your team made a good play and you could just push a button and on the other end, they hear cheering and you hear it also through your, uh, through the way that you're receiving the broadcast. I think the future of sports going to be super weird, but at the same time, there are a lot of ways that we're sort of being conditioned to it. In, in the lead up to it. It's the whole thing of like a frog doesn't realize that it's boiling alive if it happens slowly. And I think that with, with so many things, you know, we have right now, you can watch the all 22 footage, you know, you can, you can watch uh, other people watch games, which is becoming really, really popular. Not only with like my kids love to watch other people play video games instead of them playing themselves, uh, which I criticized and they reminded me that I'm not in the NBA. So every time I watch an NBA game, that's exactly what I'm doing. Um, which is a little shocking and humbling to hear. Uh, but at the same time, like I could, I could see a, a, a future for us where we are, um, we are watching other people watch games because we don't just want to see the game. We want to see what, you know, ESPN has that thing where they have like four head coaches who may or may not be employed, or maybe they've been eliminated uh, or, or they coach elsewhere in the conference. And you just watch those coaches react to the game in real time. I love that stuff. I'd pay extra money to watch Charles Barkley and Shaq watch the games that they're watching during the commercial breaks uh, yep. or, or during their dead oh, period. On... Yep. That's the future of entertainment. The future of entertainment yep. includes sitting in your house and deciding who you want to be with as they also watch. I so, mean, look at look at what Andy Cohen does with the Real Housewives. They watch stuff. If you watch... 90 day fiance or uh married at first sight they actually have people a little after many shows watching people watch the shows exactly and 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 people don't realize like one of the biggest 
uh, video content economies that was created in the era of YouTube wasn't just the YouTube videos that go viral, but the reaction videos to those. But we yep. watch people watch other things. And so, you know, it might sound incredibly shocking to say, oh, we're going to play March Madness without any fans in attendance. And I don't think that it's feasible or even um, beneficial to say we should just ultimately have March Madness without any fans in attendance, because obviously that's just another way for the NCAA to monetize that tournament and, and you know, making money is what they're all about. But if there ever comes a day when, when um, the money is better on the other side of this than there is to just have the fans in attendance and we, we continue to overpopulate and need other space for more residential things, you know, I could see arenas getting t- torn down and, and essentially like practice facilities that that have a million different camera angles built into them hosting these games and we all ultimately just watch them from home i could see that happening um maybe maybe that's not in our lifetime maybe it's a few decades away but when i hear like no fans at march madness because of a virus scare all i say is like ah that's just the little preview of the inevitable yep yeah, I, I think there's so much like to unpack with that because you we don't know what the future holds and technologies can actually make it even more fun for us to disconnect without connect disconnecting and connect with other people connecting with the disconnect. So <laughs> <laughs> but uh the, the last thing we got up is is um uh, an email. So you guys don't forget if you guys want to hit us up, I'm mad at unafraid show dot com shoot us an email we will obviously read it read it on the show um dear george and ralph let me start off by saying i'm a fan of the show okay so side side note that means you are a good smart human being hope you're sharing just like everybody listening love it love it uh the point of view you guys bring forth is very similar to what you would hear from a typical pac-12 fan you keep it real and that's why i listen Last week, you guys poked fun at the people and the mindset of not backing the pack. And I found it funny how you made fun of it, but then explained it like you supported it. Let me explain. I, like Joe Haley, am against that mindset. I will be that way until Larry Scott is gone because he's just digging a bigger hole for the conference as if he's trying to dig to China. Being against the back to pack only applies when it doesn't help your team. For example, I'm not going to root for Washington against Michigan if my team doesn't play Washington. It doesn't benefit my team at all. I will root for, say, USC to beat Bama because my team, ASU, plays them and it looks like a better win. That's not the back to pack mindset entails. And I think it's hysterical that you trashed a mindset, but then immediately agreed with it. Sincerely, William. Okay, William. Um, I think understanding a viewpoint that is opposed to your own is important. I don't necessarily mean, think that that means that you agree with it. Now, you are, you are all the way, George, on the side of like, hey, we should... Uh, we, we should back the pack, right? And I'm probably yeah, I'm more in the middle, but I think that it's important to understand what people are talking about when, when they talk about these things. You know, and I think I tried to use a few illustrations for why I believe that back the pack is important, but why I understand why somebody wouldn't want to. You know, uh, my neighbor, my next door neighbor, uh, 
elderly couple, 80 year old man who's a lifelong sports memorabilia dealer. And I just, I got, I, I met him for the first time uh, as I learned he was moving away and, and had a couple of interesting chats with him. They just sold their house and it's a, it's about a thousand square feet smaller than mine, but they're my next door neighbor. They just sold their house for what I bought my house for three years ago. Now, yeah. you know, this neighborhood, obviously anything good that happens for anybody in this neighborhood could potentially have an effect on the rest of us. Right. But him selling his house and him having a monetary gain from selling his house, it doesn't necessarily directly do anything good for me, but it could. I mean, it, it, because he had success, it opens up the door for me to potentially have success if I go down that same road. You know, so there's that way of sort of looking at how back the pack might be a good idea. That's what what's good for him didn't directly impact me as good for me. But if I wanted to go down that same route, it could. Um, then there's the other way of looking at it of like the team scenario. If you are the backup quarterback of a team and the starting quarterback takes every snap and goes out and wins every single game, that essentially keeps you on the bench. So it's not necessarily good for you personally, but you're also a member of the team, which means that if you are the backup quarterback in Kansas City and you just won a Super Bowl because of Patrick Mahomes, it was good for you in one way and maybe not good for you in another in that you're a competitor and you want to be the starting quarterback, right? So that there's multiple ways to look at this. And I think that it's important to understand that I think the Pac-12 functions sort of like the team scenario of saying like, okay, if it's good for the conference, if you're a fan of the conference, then great. It's sort of good for you too. But somebody else's success doesn't necessarily mean that you're successful because you're a competitor and you want to have individual success. I get that. But the neighborhood view is what happens good around you could potentially have a positive impact on you as well. And so that's why I'm kind of in the, in the middle of it, but I do understand why somebody would just say, no, it's like the Anne Rand view of like, I'm uh, whatever's good for me is good for me. And if it happens to be good for some other people too, great, but I'm worried about myself. I think understanding that is okay, but it doesn't mean that I agree that you should only be worried about yourself because it's multifactorial. Yep. That, that's just my and- view on it. I 100% agree with you, Ralph. You couldn't have said it any any better. I mean, that's like the the better everybody else does, then that way if we get a new uh, leader, you can negotiate rights for more. That means that your team will, won't lose out on recruits to your Arizona State team. Won't uh, that way when Colorado comes comes calling for Arizona coaches, they can pay more to keep them. Or right. when, yes, yes, yeah. So or you're, you're nailing it right now when you say that back to pack doesn't necessarily have to apply to the win. you back to pack because good refs are better for everybody. So you can get better refing that has a positive impact on everybody. If you can get a better commissioner that has a positive impact. On so you got to back. You can you can back the pack in all things except for contests on the field. But at some yep. point, backing the pack is the best way that you back yourself. Yep, and back the pack. Think about this, Arizona State fan, back the pack, and maybe you don't lose your coordinator, uh, I'm sorry, coach to uh, where, where, where to Syracuse? Syracuse, Oklahoma. To uh, Syracuse? Michigan the year before that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, oh, oh, okay, 
Oklahoma and Michigan, all right, I, I will say that that's not a lateral move at this point in, point in time, even if you took the same position. But Syracuse? No, no. Have more resources. That way it makes it very difficult for people to leave. The way they're like, mm, I don't know about that. I don't know about taking that other job. I'm going to stay right here. Uh, but back to pack is definitely the way to go. Everybody should be on board. Yes, self-preservation in terms of when you're playing that team. However, you should want the conference to look as good as possible because that means more money, more resources, and better recruits. That means that other teams can't negative recruit your team or your conference because they're like, hey, yo, hey, yo, you, you know if you go out to Pac-12 game, at Pac-12 school, nobody's going to be able to see you play. You won't win a national championship or even go to a national championship. So you might as well come on, come over here to this ACC. Come over here to this Big Ten. Where, where we get Big 12, where we're getting it in. We we make it almost every year. And it's not really we. It's like five teams. But but still, they still use that. So back to pack is the way to go. Um, thank you guys for listening to the Pac-12 Apostles. We appreciate your time, appreciate your energy. Make sure that you uh, share the Pac-12 Apostles with a friend. Tell them about it. Leave a five-star rating wherever you listen to podcasts. Send us an email if you want to get to us. I'm mad at unafraidshow.com or tweet us at Pac-12Apostles or at George Reister with one T or at Ralph Amsden. Uh, appreciate it. Catch you guys next episode.